So we are in our fourth week, uh, fourth of five weeks, where we are studying the series, The Will of God, which is a look at God's, what God's will is and, and how we discern it. Uh, and this is something that we should want to do. The Apostle Paul tells us that the will of God is something we should understand. Romans, he says, discern the will of God. Ephesians, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is for your life. So even though it doesn't always feel like it, God does want us to know his will. And so a few weeks ago, we started by looking at one of the three aspects of the will of God. We looked at what's called the decretive will of God. And the decretive will of God goes like this. Whatever God decrees, whatever God commands will happen, period. No question. No ifs, ands, or buts. There are certain things that God has said in his word, and ain't nobody, ain't nothing going to prevent them from taking place. Whether when it comes to the will of God, whether you get on board, whether it passes you by, whether it runs you over, it is going to happen. And the importance of us understanding this is it frees us from being chained to anxiety and fear. Fear of what the world can do, fear of what the enemy can do, and even fear of what we can do. If God has said something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It also reminds us that we are not in control. We are not designed to be in control. It's not good for us to be in control. And so it helps to battle that desire and urge we have to always be in control. Helps us hand over the TV remote of life to God where it belongs. In fact, I had a, a, I had a lady a couple of weeks ago. She goes, you should tell the church, the men in the church, that they should practice giving up their TV remote to their wives for a week so they can practice letting go of control. And I know, that's what I said. Blasphemy! It's okay, my toddler is the one who controls the remote in our house anyway. Uh, okay, so then two weeks ago we looked at the moral will of God. The second aspect of God's will. And this has to do not with what God decrees, but what God desires for humanity. When it comes to the will of God, this is where our focus should be. As one writer said, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is our preoccupation with the secret will of God at the expense of the revealed will of God. In other words, God has kept certain things a secret for a reason. And we should respect that. We need to focus on what is revealed. His desire is not for us to know the future, which is what we want to know, because frankly, it's easier to know the future. His desire is for us to know how to live today, which is often harder because it causes us to give up that control and change I was just talking about. He wants us to walk in his ways. That's how you know that you're in the will of God, that in every situation you are taking the scripture, the, the, script, uh, the principles of scripture, and you're applying it in that moment. Every time you do that, you are in God's will. And God's moral will, it teaches us what our goals should be and, and our attitudes, our actions, and our desires. And if we focus on his ways, like I said, you will be in his will. So prayerfully, after that message, for those of you who heard it, you've been thinking about, man, how does God want me to live today? And you've been more concerned with that than thinking about what God wants for tomorrow. Then last week, uh, for those of you who were here, because it wasn't recorded, tech error, um, a little broken device, uh, we talked about the permissive will of God, the third aspect. And the permissive will of God is the understanding that God permits us a certain level of freedom in our lives. 
Uh, now, one of the reasons that we get so anxious about God's will is within this freedom, we're always afraid about making the wrong choice and stepping out of God's will. As if God's will is a tightrope, and if you step a little to the right or a little to the left, you're going to fall off it. But we pose the question, is it possible that in God's permissive will that there are times where we can choose one of multiple options and still be in his will? And then we looked at some scriptures where we saw people sometimes just making decisions because of what they desired or they thought best. There was no grand light, no angel, no dream, no vision. They just based on what they thought was best within God's moral will. St. Augustine, he once said that love God, which means be obedient to God, and then do what you please. So sometimes you can just make a choice without stressing out that God's sovereign will will be destroyed by your choice. Remember we talked about painting? We talked about like how overwhelming, there's 188 shades of blue when you go to pick a color for a wall. And then in life, we can feel that way. We can be stuck in making decisions. And, and sometimes you just need to pick a color and start painting. And even if you find that that color that you picked was not like the perfect color you wanted, you still are moving forward because you just eliminated one shade and now you can try something else. We talked about how God is a father of love. And he's not literally sitting there waiting for you to step off the tightrope of life and fall to your doom. He is there and he will guide you as you look to him. So we need to stop living in fear, and there are times where we just need to start taking steps. That brings us to this week. Because sometimes that process, the process of taking steps and seeing that you were in God's will, it, it takes time. It takes a word that none of us love to have in our lives. It takes patience. And we're in a fast day and age. We want everything fast. I noticed this a couple weeks ago. I, I went to download, a, it was a Sunday afternoon. My brain was dead. And I, wa- I went to download a video game on my, uh, an app on my f- iPhone. Played it for two minutes, hated it. Downloaded another one. Played it for a minute, didn't like it. Played another one for like five minutes, didn't I, I like I'm just flipping through apps. You know, you know how quickly you can download, you can delete, you can get rid of, and you can change. And I think the life that we have, because so many things come to us so quickly, we are impatient people. Unfortunately, God loves patience. He loves to work in a way that makes us more patient. And, and, and I think we get impatient with God's will when we don't clearly know what to do. And, and I read a quote from R.C. Sproul, and it was, and I, heard, I read this years ago, and it really stuck with me, and it was very profound when it comes to the will of God. He says this, when it comes to the hidden or secret will of God, God's will is none of your business. It's none of your business. Have you ever considered that? All the questions that you ask about the future and tomorrow that you're asking that are literally none of your business, that if he wanted you to know, he would tell you. So if he ain't telling you, then there's a purpose in him not telling you. This goes back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the, anybody know that verse? The Lord. They belong to him, not to us. So it, it can be a fool's errand when we spend energy and time and anxiousness and fear, you know, trying to figure out what God has revealed when he hasn't revealed it. There are no shortcuts to following God. And his concern is not about getting us from point A 
to point B as fast as possible. His concern is about who we become in the process, that we become more like Jesus. That we, because what happens is when we get our answers that we want from God, we're like a kid. You know, like when I would want something, like I remember growing up and, and my dad would be home on Saturdays and I'd be watching G.I. Joe. Anybody grow up watching G.I. Joe? It's not on anymore. I love some G.I. Joes, man. And uh, I watch G.I. Joe. I'm watching TV. And, and if I wanted something from my dad, like a hostess or a Twinkie or something, because he stocked them plenty and I wasn't tall enough to reach him yet on my own, um, I'd go in and I'd ask him, I said, hey, can I get this? He gave it to me, and then boom, I'd go back to watching my TV, and I think that's what we are. We have this tendency to go to God when we want something, and then we go back to our own lives, doing things our own way. But that's not what God wants. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us seeking Him. He wants us looking to Him. He wants us in prayer and study of His scriptures, and we'll talk about that more next week. So I thought to myself, okay, I get this. The secret will of God is secret. I want to know, but I shouldn't know, so I'm going to just try not to think about it. I really need to walk in his ways. But I still stuck like, what is the best way to move forward? Because we, we all have decisions to make, right? We all have to figure out how to decide to move forward in big decisions and little ones. Like that's still there every single day, all of the time. And sometimes like the decisions are just not simple. And, and so in our tenant, what our tendency is, when it's not simple, is we start like looking for signs. We start looking for things to, to like follow to help us make the decision to move forward. And as a pastor and as a sinful human, my concern is that it's far too easy for us to look at the wrong things, to follow the wrong things that take us down a path that's outside of his will, outside of his ways. Uh, for example, last weekend I had to come, uh, we were going to the youth retreat in Dallas, PA, Camp Orchard Hill. And so um, we got in the vans and we went, and, and Evan and I had to leave later because he had a basketball game. So I put in Waze, the, uh, the navigation map I like to use, um, and I put the, the Orchard Hill in there, and it said two hours and 45 minutes. Um, you know, and I live across the parking lot, so anything over 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, right? And, and normally it's only like two hours and 15 minutes, and so, man, and so I just went with it. Maybe there's construction. And, like, it took us this funky way. We're going through downtown areas, you know, d- different side streets. I went down a couple alleys. I think, like, the Marvel Universe, the movies, I went through some other universes and paradoxal things. Like, it was weird. Even Evan was like, where are we going? Now, we ended up getting there, but it was like two hours and 45 minutes, like it said. And and so Don and I were talking, Reinerson, we were talking about like how weird it took us, uh, the the way that it took us to get there. And and so then I had to leave early Saturday night to come back to preach Sunday. And and so I just thought, Don, let me try one of the other map programs. So I tried Apple Maps. And, and, and it gave me the, the path that I normally remember, where it says, two hours and 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, this is what I remember doing. And so I took that one home, and I got home, and the nice two hours, 15 minutes saved me 30 minutes of time, and I didn't enter any other universes uh, like that. So that was great. And so I learned, like, not all map programs are the same. Sometimes they're going to give you different ways to go, especially if you're going a long distance. Um, and I think in the same way in life, we can get 
used to following the same ways in decision making. Like I just always use ways because I've always used ways. It never dawned on me it might be sending me the wrong way. And I think in life we get comfortable using the same ways on determining which way to go. And so like I want to spend today looking at some of the common things, the common ways we get comfortable with, get comfortable looking to and making decisions. And I want to see like, and stop, okay, is it as really as reliable as we thought it was? And so like one of the things I wanted to, one of the ways that we follow, one of the map programs, one of the road signs, whatever you want to call it, is we look to circumstances. In Christendom, we love the idea of, of open and closed doors. Open and closed doors. We've all heard this, you know, if, if God closes a door, he does what? He opens another, right? Or there's like 500 variations of it. Uh, my favorite, I heard this guy once say this. He said, they say every time God closes the door, he opens a window. He said, that's great, but what happens when I'm on the 10th floor? I was like, that's deep. That's deep if you think about it. And so an, an open door, is they're, they're referring to the path of least resistance in making decisions, like that God will make the right path smooth and easy. And if it's a troubled or rough road, then, then it's probably not God. And I think we do see in the Bible, there are times where God made it pretty clear the right way to go. But this is not always his way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, this is Paul speaking. He goes, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though, read this, hear this, an open, a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul had an open door, like, hey, I can go preach to these people. But Titus wasn't there. He was kind of worried about him. He's concerned. And so he just decided to move on. And my point in, in sharing this is that if, if Paul did not take every open door, uh, the apostle who wrote 20% of, you know, the, the, uh, I think the, the Bible, 20% of the New Testament, um, that we can't say that every perceived open door is actually the right move for us. Or, or you go to 1 Samuel, Old Testament. If you remember, King Saul wanted to kill David, right? The guy who killed Goliath because he was a threat to his throne. So he was chasing David and his men. David and his men went to hid in a cave. And, you know, if you've heard the story, you remember, you know, Saul passed that cave and he had to relieve himself, right? And they didn't have like gas stations and outhouses back then. So Saul went into the cave and he's in there doing his business. And, and David's guys are like, dude, Saul is there and he's compromised, right? You can go take him out right now. Problem solved. This would be, if this ever an open door, this was it, right? Open stall maybe. And, uh, in 1 Samuel 24 verse 6, this is what David said. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. In other words, even though it was an open door, like God was like, this, David's like, this isn't right. This would not be in God's ways to do this. Now, even without these examples, the idea of open doors is problematic because it depends, it would, walking through an open door is dependent on our ability to perceive what doors are open and what doors are closed. And I don't feel like we're very good at that. I feel like we're more like the people like, anybody here, come on, let's swallow pride. Has anybody here ever walked into a sliding glass door? 
Thank you. I'll appreciate the honesty. I have done it as well, right? Um, I feel like that's what we're like when we're trying to serve open and closed doors, right? A door will be closed and just because we think it's open and we'll walk right into it. That's what we're more like when trying to discern open and closed doors. Uh, I remember 2013, I flew out to Wyckoff, uh, out here to Jersey to Wyckoff to candidate for a associate pastor position. Now they ended up not choosing me. So uh, they're obviously out of their minds. But obviously, <laughs> I would consider that a closed door, right? Okay. Um, I would consider a closed door. And even if they offered me the job, I wouldn't take it because my wife flying back was like, you and that pastor will kill each other inside of a week. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Something's just off here. And if anybody you know the church, you knew she was right. She's very discerning women. And so close the doors, okay? But three months later, I get a call that the pastor was resigned or asked to resign. And and they hired a new pastor from Kenya, but he didn't have a green card and stuff like that yet. So they're like, hey, can you come be in our interim pastor for a while? But I was like, at first I was like, no, because God already showed me this was a closed door. And then I was thinking, I'm a West Coast dude. Like, I don't know these East Coast people and I hear weird things about them. And, um, you know, they don't like, you know, pepperoni and they don't like pineapple on pizza and they're New York Yankee lovers and their mafia would probably bury me anyway. And I, so I was just <laughs> thinking to myself, like, this is my people. This is where I should be. And so I'm like, no. Now, God placed someone in my life, I'll share this next week, uh, at a gym, and, 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 and then a couple other people that kind of convinced me I was being a little closed-minded, no pun intended. And, and then finally, it, it, it really, you know, hit me when my wife said, look, we haven't found a position yet, so I'm going to go take a full-time job nursing, and you are going to stay home with our three tiny children. And that would have not worked out well for them uh, or for me. So I was like, hey, we're going to New Jersey. Praise God. <laughs> so what I thought was a closed door and had set in my mind, even at the offering, wasn't. It was just God putting me in the right spot at the right time. And I could go out how things happened in his timing that I, endedly, I eventually ended up here at just the right time. So I don't think the idea of closed and open doors is a 100% reliable way to make decisions, and that we don't really have the ability to understand what is truly open and closed. Uh, another sign I think we love to follow, one that drives me nuts, is uh, inner peace. You ever had somebody say, I have a peace about it, right? We've said that too, I have a peace about it, which usually means I've decided which way I want to go and I don't want anybody to go against me. Um, but is inner peace really a way to, 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 to a reliable way to go? Now, now maybe sometimes I would say yes, uh, but not always. Uh, I was 16 years old. I was at uh, a church called Church for All Nations uh, uh, in Tacoma, Washington, and there was a girl I was going to school with, and her name was Sarah. And um, and one night. I'm sharing this story because my wife's not here. Um, one night, Saturday night, after a Saturday night service, I was walking out to my car and I felt the Lord press on my heart that, that's, you know, God said, you're going to marry Sarah. <laughs> and I was sure. Like, I had this overwhelming peace for the next few days because as you know, a teenage boy's hormones is a reliable way to hear from God. And... Uh, 
you know, and she had expressed interest to in getting to know me better at one time, and I loved her parents, and I just, I knew this was it. So I went to the sweet older lady in our church, and I say older, really she was probably like my age now, which kind of does a thing in my mind, but I went to her, and, and I, you know, I shared God's just message and the peace and the warmth that I have, and she gave me this smile, like this smile that said, oh my boy. <laughs> now she was very sweet, and she said, look, I'm glad that you like her. I'm glad that she likes you, but you can't put stock in this. You can't put stock in this, this piece that you have about this. You just take it one day at a time, commit your life to God, follow him, and, and see what he does. And she was, like I said, she was very sweet and tender from other things she probably wanted to say or burst out laughing. But I was so sure I had this piece and, and everything, and, you know, and, um, and then two months later, I'm dating a completely different girl, so that goes to show you. Um, you know, and obviously, I ended up marrying Maria, right? And, and Sarah's back in Tacoma now. She's married to another wonderful man of God, and they're serving Jesus. And, and, and I was, but at that time in my life, I was so sure. It made me think of that, uh, and I was praying about it even until I started dating the other girl two months later. And, and it reminds me of that old Garth Brooks songs, you know, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, if you guys are a country fan. Now, this is like a more lighthearted example. We've probably all done this at teenagers a little bit, whether it's a piece God gave you or you writing your name with somebody else's last name in your book and little hearts around it and stuff like that. Uh, I know some of you did that. But I think even as we get adults, we can get this piece about things and there we're just so sure it is the right way to go. The problem is we can confuse inner peace with our own comfort uh, and are wanting to justify what we prefer to do. As a pastor, in all the counseling that I've done, and knowing my own heart, it is amazing how often inner peace and what we want to do line up together. And I always tell people, when you have a peace about something, and it's something you want, you better be real, real quick to check yourself. Because I think we have a hard time distinguishing, and, and if it's something that we want to do, we don't even want to distinguish between God's peace and counterfeit peace. And, and us human beings, we, we're like prone to confirmation bias. We just want to confirm what we already believe. In our pride, we just want to take whatever information that comes in, and we want it to support what we believe. We don't want to be wrong. Proverbs says that there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs also says that whoever trusts in their own mind is a fool. It says if you trust yourself, just your own mind, your own heart, your own feelings, you're a fool. I was reading a story about someone who wrote about the will of God once, and I don't remember the author's name, and he said several years ago in his church, he, had knew, he knew a girl, and she was signed to a contract to teach in a school. And in August of that year, right before she started, she received another offer from a school that was actually closer to where she wanted to live, so a shorter commute, which is, you know, for a lot of you, you know how big a short commute is. And so she broke her original contract that she had already signed. And the department chair said her justification was that she had a piece about it. 
And, and he said, and this was that department chair's comment, he said, isn't it lovely that she has the peace and I'm left with all the pieces? And that is the danger of when we rely on inner peace alone is the damage that we can do to others and to situations that we can leave things in peace. Because once again, because of our hearts, we often will take inner peace to confirm what we already want without stopping to think, is it in his ways? Actually, I think a better tell of God's will is when we lack peace. When we feel like God pressing us to do something, we know it's in his Bible and we don't want to do it because that's what I find. When God's calling me to do stuff and I know it's in his word and I don't want to do it, I just, okay, it's probably him then. I think another way that we want to follow is personal desires, right? If something's on my heart, it must be God's will. And this is often uh, backed up by the phrase, God will give you the desires of your, of your heart. Seems like it should be a little meme on a little necklace that we wear. And it comes from Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? Once again, and I could say this every week, this shows the importance of reading scripture in context. Because when you read the context of this verse, David isn't just referring to any old happy desire you have. He's talking about trusting in the Lord despite trouble, despite the trouble that surrounds you. Now, this doesn't mean that your desires are necessarily bad in nature. You can have good desires. You can have bad desires. But even sometimes you have a desire for something, but it's not yet ready to be fulfilled. It's not that time. Because you can have a right desire, and you can pursue it in the wrong way. 1 Kings 8, King Solomon, he's, uh, he's dedicating the temple that they built for God. And here's what he says in his speech. King Solomon says this, verse 17, Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. So King David had a desire to build this temple for God. And even though that God acknowledged it was a good desire, he said, this is something for your son to do. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want my words to like influence you. And anytime you have a passion for something, you don't move forward because I talked about that last week. What I'm saying is that you have to be careful that if you have desires or passions in your life, not all your decisions just hinge right on that desire, right on that heart. You have to check your heart and check your timing, check the way that you're going about it. We're going to talk about that more next week. Now, I've given a few examples here, but there is like one common thread through all the, the, the way we perceive our circumstances and, 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 and inner peace and, and our personal desires. They have like one thread that runs through all of them. They're all based on our hearts. Like, and when I say heart in the Bible, it's talking about your attitudes and your desires and your passions and the way that you think about things and you react about things. All of that is when it says the Bible talks about your heart, that's what it's talking about. And, and there are many calls in our world to follow your heart, right? 
you see them in movies and novels and blogs and what have you. They're like, trust yourself. You know, follow your instincts. So the song we sang talks about this. You know, be you. You're awesome. You're the best. But is that really, if we think about it, who you should follow? Your heart. Paul Washer, pastor, he takes a different stance. He says when it comes to your heart, you need to tell your heart to shut up. And I got to tell you, that's probably a little more accurate. Because when I look at my heart, my heart tells me that I should serve my desires. My heart tells me I deserve to get my way. My heart tells me I'm right in how I think and feel about everything. My heart thinks the best of me. My heart thinks the worst of anybody else who would disagree with me. Now, if they agree with me, they're wonderful, right? But if they disagree with me, oh, they're wrong. That's what my heart tells me. That's what your heart tells you. Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, come murder, come adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, (coughs) and slander. That's what he says comes out of your heart. The truth is our hearts lie to us like nobody else. It's like um, we, we want to take our hearts and, and, and create them as a, camp, a compass, but it's a faulty compass. I remember years ago, I don't know, 15, 10, however long ago, they came out with this movie called uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean with Captain Jack Sparrow, right? The guy looked half drunk and walked around all the time. Remember, he had a compass in that first movie, and that, that compass only pointed one way. And long story short, you found out what that compass always pointed to is what your heart desired most. Whether it was good or not, that's where it pointed, like this magical compass. And in the same way, that's what our hearts unchecked to do. They point us to whatever we want. That's how they direct us. But our hearts, because of our sin nature, it's, they're not benevolent in, in, in nature. They're, they're pathologically sinful. And, and, and if we do what our hearts tell us to do unchecked, as John Piper would say, we will pervert and we will impoverish every desire and every beauty and every person and every wonder and every joy. Because our hearts want to consume all of these for our own self-glory and self-indulgence. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He's talking about your heart and mine. It is deceitful above all things. And there's no way to fix the heart. No way to fix it. We need a new one. That's why Jesus came. We read this in 2 Corinthians 5. You put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. You repent and believe. He gives you a new heart. But that doesn't mean you can just rely on it. It's different. Like in your old life before Christ, you were a slave to sin. Now you're no longer a slave. You have this freedom, but you can choose to slave yourself. You can go back to your own desires. That's where the whole free will comes in. And the Bible teaches that even, man, a lot of the authors, Paul talked about this a lot, that even now that you're a Christian, if you're not careful, you will go after what your flesh desires and not what the Spirit desires the Holy Spirit desires, that they're in competition with each other. And then even more, what some of us don't realize, 
You're following your heart, but you're following a wounded and broken heart. See, some of us, we have been hurt in our lives by other people. And because we've never properly got healed from it, we've never properly sought the Lord for his perspective, we, we've never forgiven, we've never started to walk in God's ways, that our heart's still broken. And so it's, it would be like um, trying to use a computer that has broken software. It'd be like trying to do math with a calculator where three or four of the buttons are broken. Someone once said that you may not be responsible for your hurt, but you do have a responsibility for your healing. And so some of you still today, all your decisions, all your heart decisions are still based on hurt that you have never dealt with in the Lord. And, and, and if you're wondering, like, the, what is the point of all of this? It's like, I want you to doubt yourself. We spend too much time being afraid of circumstances and other people. Some of us spent too much time being afraid of the devil. The problem is we're not afraid of ourselves. We are not afraid of our sin nature. Because if we were, we would pause a lot more often than we do. And I'll tell you, Christians are not afraid of themselves. Because we, we boast in arrogance about the things that we want and we desire. Here's one of the ways that we do it. James talks about this. He talks about boasting in your arrogance. We will often, as Christians, we, instead of going to God to seek him for our plans, we use him as a tool to reinforce our own plans. James calls this evil. It's where we use God and we rubber stamp him on our agenda. And this is how we do it. Instead of saying, hey, this is what I think, we'll say, the Lord has shown me. Instead of saying, hey, here's what, what we're going to do, we'll say, well, this is what the Lord wants us to do. We've all heard people do this. We've probably done it ourselves. The problem is when you talk like that as a Christian, whether you know it or not, and I think at some level we know what we're doing, you are putting yourself 10 feet above any kind of contradiction. I mean, when somebody says, well, I've been praying about this so, so much, and the Lord has really worked on my heart, and this is what the Lord has shown me, what that person do, is doing is they are making it impossible for anyone to say, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. Because, like, who are they to question the Lord? And so as Christians, we sprinkle the Lord over everything, forcing people to eat it. Why? Because ultimately, we're trusting ourselves, and we don't fear our own hearts enough. And I tell you, part of the reason that you see marriages with struggles, you see church disunity, all of our problems, a lot of it comes to the fact that because we're just trusting our own hearts enough. And so I want to warn you. And I pray this is a wake-up call to anybody else, including myself, who trusts their hearts too much because your heart will never get up trying to redirect you. Like, I remember when I was driving back from uh, the youth retreat and I was using the Apple Maps every 15 minutes or so because I was bored driving by myself, I would check ways. And all up until about five minutes until I got to the church, it was trying to redirect me a different way. It never gave up, trying to send me the wrong way. Your heart will never give up this side of heaven 
stop at trying to send you to the ways that serve you. And so I'm trying to remind us, including myself, our the depths of our hearts that we may seek humility, that we may be like the psalmist in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and then lead me into everlasting. How often do you pray that prayer? Especially when you know you're right. How long do you pray that prayer when your spouse comes up to you and says, hey, I think there's a problem in our marriage, and you're like, no. How often do you say, search me, oh God? When your parents are all over you about something and you're angry, how often do you stop and say, search me, oh God? When you're out in the workforce and you're making uh, decisions and you're not pausing to see if you're in God's ways or you're saying, search me, oh God. When someone's made you angry and upset and you're ready to act, you're saying, search me, oh God. Even if you're right, you can still be wrong in the way that you handle things. Church, I cannot warn you enough, your heart will try to shepherd you every single day. Do not follow it. It is not a shepherd. It is a pompous, prideful, selfish sheep that has wolf-like qualities and will devour your walk with God in your relationships if you allow it. Your heart will only tell you what you want. It will not tell you where you should go outside of Christ. The only shepherd that you have is Jesus. He is the only shepherd that you have. And so rather than our heart, trusting our hearts, we are to commit ourselves to God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray.